the What I Watch Tonight show. Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to What I Watch Tonight show. My name is Matt Hudson and I am the ring bearer of the website whatiwatchtonight.co.uk. In these episodes I chat with a guest or guests that specialise in or enjoys movie reviewing or discussion, putting questions to them and basically we just talk some movies uh, which allows this show to actually have a purpose. Uh, So I'm happy to report that uh, Lauren and Josh Rains, aka Lolo and Big J from Lolo Love Films are joining me today. Guys, how the bejesus are you? Great. Doing great. Fantastic. How are you? <laughs> Wonderful, thank you. Uh, whereabouts are you joining from? We are uh, hailing from San Diego, California, all the way in sunny United States of America. <laughs> it's probably a lot hotter there than it is over here. I've never been to the West Coast, but it's something I'd always like to do. Well, when you come out, we'll have to go catch a movie together. <laughs> Absolutely. Done. That was easy. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, before we talk about the joys of movies... What else do you guys get up to to fill your days? Uh, I mean, really, we kind of just had this crazy dream to become full-time movie reviewers, and that's what we're trying to do right now. Uh, We do have two dogs that occupy an inordinate amount of time (laughs) in our day. Um, You know, just odds and ends, jobs, things like that. But mainly our focus is, is writing movie reviews, watching movies, and we have made it our mission to see as many movies in the theater as we can. We probably go to the theater at least four times a week. Yeah, I think it's pretty fair to say that you guys are consistent with your reviews. Uh, It's one every day, by the looks of it, pulled from different corners of the movie world. So it's not just movies that have come out this month. There's movies from decades ago. It is. And we like to try and focus on lists of actors or directors who we enjoy. Recently, we did Guillermo del Toro before The Shape of Water came out. We did Christopher Nolan before Dunkirk. We go back and watch all of their filmography. It's daunting, but we also have a lot of fun with it. And also in the month of March, we're watching lots and lots of musicals. So those, you know, spanning from Wizard of Oz all the way up to something more recent like Chicago. Nice. That must be quite fun. It's better, I mean, for someone like Chris Nolan, I suppose he's only got, I say only, what, eight or nine films. Um, so over the course of a month, it's not so bad. And Del Toro, similarly. I'm starting to think possibly you guys may have had an Im- may have had an impact in him winning Best Picture then. Maybe put a happy curse on him. We only stand legends. <laughs> yeah. So is, it just, so is it just directors or is it um, genres you focus on for your lists? Um. I think we're going to do, we mainly have done directors and actors right now. Uh, we do plan on expanding into genres. I think we're working on a musical list since we're watching so many of them. We'll probably throw up some of our favorite musicals and eventually we'll get around to other genres. Sometimes um, other weird quirks about movies uh, as well. Um, even things like we're kind of working on like misleading trailers and stuff like that because we kind of see a lot of trailers as well. So the movies with the most misleading trailers, there's a lot of stuff we kind of have in the works, but it takes a while to actually see enough because we actually like to do our research. We don't just kind of yank from other lists or anything like that and slap something together. We actually watch every movie that we have on our list. Yeah, and what I really like about your site in general is it is literally just movie reviews. There's no need for conjecture or any other rhubarb. 
Uh, it's literally just a long that list of movie reviews, and on this, obviously on the panes you've got split into decades and that. Um, how long have you been adding reviews to your site and also YouTube as well? Uh, we have been doing reviews since summer 2013. That was when we first discovered this program in the States here called MoviePass. I don't know if you guys have. Yes. Yeah, something like that over where you live. But MoviePass basically allows you to see one movie every day. And they've changed their uh, price plan and, and criteria a lot over the last couple of years. But that was I gave it to you for a birthday present one year. And we said, OK, well, we'll go see 30 movies in a row and see if we can do it yeah it was really fun and we just kept doing it and that was what kind of prompted us to want to stop everything we were doing and (laughs) become movie reviewers of course at the time i don't think we realized quite how many people uh, also wanted to do the same thing (laughs) i had exactly the same thing i for i started my site and thought well this will be easy i'll be you know i'll be earning millions in the first week and then as soon as you start your your um your, your site and your socials, you suddenly think, ah, there's about 4,000 other people just online at the minute doing the same thing. And that's just in my country. So, yeah, um, there is an awful lot of people out there. But it's good, I find. It's a good community. Uh, and I do I enjoy reading what other people say about films, which I may or may not like. So um, I have noticed that, for the most part, it is certainly fun to be around like-minded people like yourselves and everybody else who does uh, a similar hobby or job. I agree. And I think the one good thing about quote film Twitter and the (laughs) cinephile community as a whole is I think for the most part, we haven't really run into a whole lot of, uh, negative Nancy's, so to speak, Debbie Downers. Uh, I think that there are a lot of people who disagree, but they do so politely. It seems to me like there are a couple of bad eggs, but, for the most part, everybody's respectful. If they disagree, they can do so politely. But it's just this really great place to reach out and meet people like yourselves. I mean, we've, we've met so many people who we've interviewed on our own show with our own segment that we interview cinephiles with. And we just have a great time doing it. And it's, of course, you're going to get the people who, you know, point out the one typo that your spell check <laughs> yeah. didn't catch. But that's okay. It's all part of the the goings on, the daily goings on. That's all right. <laughs> it's all part of the fun. Um, you just mentioned your podcast. Um, what do you, I mean? I've, I've I have listened to it, of course. But for the people who are listening, what do you get up to on there? Who who do you get on there? And you know, what's the content? Oh boy, where yeah. do we start? <laughs> well, we have a usually a biweekly podcast where we cover what movies we've seen in the theater or new Netflix releases, new video on demand stuff. Sometimes if there's not a lot of stuff coming out of the theater, because sometimes only like two things come out for a week and that's really not enough to fill two podcasts a week. So we'll uh, check out Netflix, new movies on there, check out sometimes the stuff that comes just on demand because you know, the independent stuff that studios don't think have an audience. Um, and then beyond when we go beyond, um, the movie reviews we do, the director spotlights, stuff like that, actor spotlights. And then we also do the interviews that she was mentioning, the get to know cinephile segments um, where uh, we inter- take people who are in the movie, you know, the Twitter film critics or Instagram film critics, all these people who just love movies and have them and talk to them and let them kind of explain, you know, their thoughts on movies and what's their favorites and all that kind of stuff. So we get to know them a little deeper than what they just post on Instagram. And then we also have the Cinephile Film Club where we host, uh, you know, we have a new guest host every time they come on. And it's usually a month, every month or every month and a half, depending on how busy we are. 
but we choose a topic and we each watch films just covering that topic. Like she said, I think we're doing bad romantic comedies this month <laughs> that people in our then our the people in our group have enjoyed. And so we're all kind of watch these romantic comedies and we'll give our thoughts on them. Whether we enjoy them or not is a big different question, but somebody in our group enjoyed them. February was a hairy, hairy month. It yeah. was uh, it was tough to get through those selections. <laughs> well, I would urge people to listen because the the shows that the guys put out they they're generally pretty decent in length. So you're not just going to get a ten minute um, audio snippet. You're going to be treated for best part of an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, and like I say, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's informative. It's fun. It's knowledgeable. Um, so if you like movies, uh, and let's face it, if you don't, then you shouldn't be listening, um, then go and check out uh, The Guys Podcast, which uh, is linked from your website, is that correct, or your socials? It is linked on our website, and we promote it every time we do a live show. That's the other good thing about our show is we do it live. We don't you know, splice and dice. We just, off the cuff, if we say something wrong, we correct ourselves and... It's it's really fun because we have a chat room on there as well. And so you can find that link on our website, lolovesfilms.com. And pretty much within, you know, one page worth of tweets, there's <laughs> going to be a link taking you to that next episode. So see, these guys put me to shame. See, I, I pre-record. <laughs> these guys live on the edge. They do, they do it live. So, Although there's nothing wrong with doing pre-recording. Like with, when we were doing YouTube videos this last year, uh, we we kind of found it hard to record and then and cut stuff together because it is two people and that's kind of what makes us unique is we offer both perspectives but we combine them into one review so when we do the youtube videos it's it's a little bit different than our podcast because we try to be more reserved especially now with the youtube algorithms changing Mm -hmm. you can't uh, just go on there and say, hey, the emoji movie is shit. <laughs> <So>. It was. <laughs> but <laughs> It was. <laughs> yeah. You can just put that in the, surely you can just put that in the notes section, P.S. Lots of poop emojis. <laughs> yeah, that's just a polite way of saying it. What I also like about your reviews is at the bottom, as you just said, because there's two of you, obviously, you you don't just give one shared rating. You give, you'd have your rating, you'd have uh Josh's rating at the bottom, and I find that quite interesting to uh, read the review and then and then see if there's any disparity between you know both of your opinions. Do you ever fight about your ratings? <laughs> uh, do we fight? Not too often. Uh, there's probably been a, just a couple times. Surprisingly, we are in tune a lot on a lot of our ratings. We have very similar tastes <laughs> in movies. That's what happens when you've been together for 13 years. Yeah, <laughs> and, but there are, have been movies we've disagreed on. And uh, I'll come, you know, I think our biggest disparity is still the lobster. I was not a fan of the lobster. She liked it. Um, and we give both our perspectives, but we tend not to fight. There are some times where certain aspects I don't agree with some parts, but usually we're within a point or two of each other, though on occasion we're massively apart. I think I don't know if you like the party more than the party I really hated. And then I don't know if you liked it any more than I did but yeah usually it's like within a a one or two point spread like you said but there are very few occasions when we massively differ and when we do it's usually like even call me by your name I gave a 9.5 you gave a 7 I think so that was a big big spread and I think it's just maybe how they make you feel a little more cynical and how they make me feel a little more empathetic towards people I don't know (laughs) But fighting, no. But I think it's interesting because 
he writes his part of the review and how he feels. And then I write my part and I, you know, dice it up, doll it up and correct grammar and stuff like that. And we slap it together and it's, it's a combined review, but it really truly is a mutual effort. We do everything together. There are certain things that I do. I usually run the Twitter and the Instagram. He does the pictures for everything we do, but it is very much a mutual uh, effort. Yeah. And it must be an awful lot of fun. Um, being able to have to share in doing that, obviously the love of films, but also you know bringing it out, bringing it out to the world, and it does show. It does show in what you do because there. Uh, forgive me for saying, but there does seem to be an awful lot of sort of fun and sort of bounciness about just you guys, just from your Twitter and your um, and your site. That's before I even spoke to you, so there always seems to be fun radiating from your reviews or your site. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> A lightheartedness. Uh, which is endearing, I find. And, and you know what? I think that there is there is enough cynicism in the world elsewhere. If you, I mean, even with kind of going a little in the future, Ready Player One just recently mm-hmm. premiered at South by Southwest Film Festival here, and it's really hard to ignore uh, the early hype for any movie that comes out if you're anywhere near social media. And I think that where people are more cynical, we're more willing to give things a chance, even if the movie has. Uh, 13% on Rotten Tomatoes, even if people hate something, we're willing to put the effort in, watch a movie so everyone else doesn't have to. And then we'll put our review out. And we have no problem telling it like it is. If something really, really stinks, we'll tell you. But we'll be funny about it. At least I think we're funny. And then <laughs> if we love something, we'll fawn all over it like The Shape of Water. It was no secret that I, you know, it was our favorite movie of the year. It was just a magical, wonderful experience. And and I'll kind of hound people, but, you know, also make your own decisions at the same time. Politely, don't disagree, but politely. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's the best way to be is just is say it how it is, because then people are going to flock to you. Shape of Water, uh, best picture. We are assuming, f- just from what you've said, you agree with that decision. Absolutely. I think that if it was going to be anything else, we would have loved to see it be Get Out, because mm. it, it feels like there have been shifts in the Academy and in the Oscars where there were these kind of bigger pictures like Titanic one Lord of the Rings one, these giant epic movies. Then in the two thousands, it sort of made the switch to these smaller indie pictures. And even more recently now in the 2010s, I feel like there's going to be another shift here now where you're getting these, weirder movies that defy what it means to be a quote horror movie or a quote fantasy Mm -hmm. movie the genre bending films and we love that the shape of water kind of slowly dismantles what it means to be a prestige picture or what it means to be an oscar bait movie and the other movie that did that was get out and we would have loved to see it just because it was a straight-up horror movie with a political social commentary that would have been amazing we also love the movie so yeah, I think they got it right. Uh, I, I wonder how much the backlash here in the States to three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri affected The Shape of Water winning, but they absolutely got it right, in my opinion. Don't you agree, Big J? Yeah, I, Get Out was my favorite movie of the year, but and we saw it really early, so that every other movie was trying to live up to that all year, and it was really hard. And then Shape of Water was the one that came closest. The other one that came really close was The Disaster Artist, but that wasn't getting nominated for other reasons. 
Um, but I would have been okay with Shape of Water, three billboards, or Get Out winning, and Shape of Water won. And I like Gilmore Del Toro. I've always liked his career. I've been a fan of his for a long time. Mm-hmm. So it's good to see him win because Pan, Pan's Labyrinth was fantastic, and I don't think he got to win for that. For He, he was only nominated for foreign language film. He didn't even get that. So, um, you know, it's good to see him win here, and it's good to see him finally get some recognition because he's always made some really beautiful movies, and I've always liked his work. Even, like, his more fun movies like Pacific Rim and stuff like that, I still enjoy. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen his take on the Hobbit trilogy or the uh, the two films he was slated to make. I would have loved to have seen that um, as opposed to what we actually ended up getting. But um, in terms of The Shape of Water, I was actually... I I was more of a fan of Three Billboards, but in a sense, I am glad, as you've just said, The Shape of Water did win because it it's kind of shown that there there is a shift because it, it's a it's a strange fantasy film which isn't your standard Oscar bait film, and it's only and it's gone and won. And like you say, Get Out as well, a smaller Get it, it's a smaller indie. It's a uh, Bloomhouse, I think it was, or it's a Bloomhouse production. Mm-hmm first time director in that genre with that message as well that it came that would have been just as good and it came out in March as well not forgetting so it wasn't like it came out in uh, November, December just aiming for Oscars so that I would have out of the three I was a three billboards fan but I would love to have seen Get Out win but um, I agree that The Shape of Water was a good choice in the sense of you know yeah it shows that we're finally finally maybe turning a corner because it becomes quite apparent in the last few years which kind of films are going to be the Oscar bait from from November to January onwards. Uh, and I'm glad that um, even films like Logan got the adapted screenplay and that's kind of getting uh, noticed a bit more now. Right, and there's no reason why if a, if a comic book movie or a superhero movie is, is good enough to necessitate or deserve an award... There's no reason it shouldn't get it just because it's a comic book movie or a superhero movie. And I I love that they're making that shift. Even something like The Disaster Artist, which is a straight up comedy. I mean, the fact that that got nominated for adapted screenplay was amazing. I don't think it had a chance of winning with uh, uh, Call Me By Your Name in that uh, in that category as well, because the adapt. The adaptation of that is just is spot on. They did a really, really fantastic job adapting that from the book. So, yeah, but it's nice to see that there are are hopefully going to be some shifts here. And if you can deal with like real kind of convey that human emotion through metaphors in the comic book movies, it's like, you know, there's big father daughter relationship stuff going on. And there's a lot of stuff going on in Logan beyond just, you know, a guy with claws stabbing people, you know, it's like it, they, there's a lot more depth in some, you know, comic book movies now, especially they, they, they tried to do a little bit more than just, you know, lighthearted popcorn fare. There's, there are messages buried in there. If you, if you're willing to see past the big special effects and vast all the jokes, a lot of times, you know, they do have deeper meanings out there. Yeah. And I think in the next few years, we're only going to see more and more, uh, diverse movies, and I mean that in many, in many different ways. Diverse movies getting nominations or nods, uh, opening more and more doors, um, and even if it, and it just this year mentioned in superhero films, I mean like Black Panther. I mean I'm not a massive fan of the genre, but I thought that was a fa- fa- fabulous movie, uh, and it was and it wasn't as contained as Logan, but it was still a, to me a smaller scale film, which just shows that if you rein things in just ever so slightly. 
you can underneath all of the you like to say the whiz bang effects and everything else going on you can actually have a compelling story with a with a good message at its heart so I, I agree with that and I'd like to see more of these type of films get some sort of recognition going forward yeah for sure I mean Black Panther I hope that we can see some awards come next year I mean it's a little early to talk about it but I would love to see Rachel Morrison get nominated for her cinematography on Black Panther of course she was the first uh, female to be nominated for cinematography this year for Mudbound which was yeah I mean just tremendous cinematography in that movie great great movie but I think she deserves it for Black Panther as well it was just really stunning looking yeah agreed Um, and it would be nice to have two for two for her as well um, mm-hmm. So, what to, oh, we've gone through that, gone through your list and how consistent you are and your list. What was the last movie you caught, uh, which must have been either today or yesterday? Um, well, in the theater, the last movie we saw in the theater was Thoroughbreds, awesome. which we saw mm-hmm. yesterday, and that was that was good. It's very weird, kind of a slow burn, uh, kind crime. of a critique on affluenza and millennial culture and it was shrouded in this crime thriller i guess kind of a thriller <laughs> yeah it's kind of a very slow burn uh slow paced movie but it is interesting and it has some good performances from the two main girls in there also and then at home we watched one for a cinephile film club made of honor which was awful awful <laughs> and uh like yeah. very aggressively anti-women for being a movie that's directed towards women <laughs> I mean, come on. I could rant about that for an hour. And then the last one we watched was Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, which is classic. Just just take you in a completely different direction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll be looking forward to Thoroughbreds. Um, I think they released a trailer a couple of months ago and it piqued my interest because I like the the uh, two young leads they've got. I think Olivia Cook and uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, I think. I really like that. And Antonio Elton's in it as well. Uh, rest in peace. Um, so I've been really looking forward to that film. So... Without obviously dropping any spoilers, what were your what were you what were your ratings for that film, or is it a film which you'd recommend fairly positively? Yeah, I give it a rec. I get my initial thought on it is a seven out of ten, which is a, okay. you know a solid movie. I think it's good. My only problem with it is it does move a little slow, but it is intended to move slow. But it still makes the movie feel long a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think they could have picked up the pace a little but it does have some interesting things to say about you know wealth and uh, empathy and stuff like that so i thought it was interesting it's probably a lot better than uh muck dreamy in uh maid of honor anyway yeah oh, God. <laughs> i don't know what i don't know what patrick dempty's up to now but I'm, I'm sure he's managed to uh exceed the heights of maid of honor quite a few times since god i hope so <laughs> yeah if not just give up patch um so, I mean, I could imagine, I've just again, the sheer amount of films you've got must have got through in the last five years, I can imagine you've either got a packed hard drive full of digital films or an attic full of DVDs, Blu-rays or Betamax. Um, how, so how, how often are you getting out and about to the cinema in terms of um, watching, watching them at home? Because I know you said you do try as much as possible. but Yeah, we usually go to the, the theatre actually three, four times a week, depending on how many movies are out. Um, and then we'll watch multiple movies a day, usually one in the theater if we can. If not, we'll watch one at home. Very few. There's only a, an occasional day we go where we have too much other stuff to do, uh, you know, other obligations where we can't watch a movie because we don't actually watch much TV or anything like that. So we don't watch many TV shows. 
Um, and if we do, it's usually like a binge watch on Netflix or something like that. But we try to do it and we try to, our goal would be try to get at least two reviews out a day, but we usually get about one um, or sometimes two. The most we've gotten out in a day is three, but we actually watch more movies than we review is the problem is sometimes <laughs> we watch movies and we've gotten so many backlogged as far as trying to review them all. We run out of time to review them. And then by the time we actually have time to do it, we've kind of said, well, I can't really assess it anymore. It's been too long for us to actually write something down. About this. Overly <laughs> ambitious. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just trying to think how to schedule three films a day. I guess mo- I guess breakfast, lunch, and dinner in movie in a movie terms. Um, just quick, I was just harking back. Sorry, it's been planned a while. Did you actually watch thirty films in thirty days at the cinema? Uh, I think we may have missed one or two days just because of, we ran out of stuff to see. Ooh. And at that time, we were. I mean not really traveling to go see movies. We were pretty much just, it was a weird time. We, it was like at the end of the spring, early summer. So we got all the end of spring movies and all the beginning of the summer movies Mm -hmm. with our subscription way back in 2013. And I think there were only two days that we missed. So we, I think we saw 29 movies out of 31. Yeah. And I think we saw some straggler, like um, in a couple second run theaters, like we went down pretty far out of our way, like to Chula Vista and stuff too. To catch a couple that were a little bit older and probably about a couple weeks of coming away, coming out on DVD or something like that. Like the Evil Dead remake we caught that down at some discount theater because everything else we had already seen. And we're like, oh, we're out of movies. So we'll go find this one at this theater that's really far away. <laughs> 29 out of 31. That's still not a bad, that's still not a bad effort to be on. Did you, um? so before you, you mentioned that, um, I know I'm backtracking here, but you mentioned that five years ago, you got this movie pass for your birthday. Were you working before that and then just decided to really go for it with the movie reviews? Yeah, we were. Uh, You know, you were working at Verizon Wireless uh, and I was working at my college for a while and then I graduated from college. Actually, the day we got married was the same day. (laughs) What a a bad day at all then. Yeah, it was supposed (laughs) to be the same day. And, uh, you know, pretty much some personal stuff happened and, and that was kind of, shook us a little and made us think like no day but today to say it in terms of a movie to say it in terms of rent no day but today (laughs) live your life as full as you can and do what you want to do because we've seen what happens when people think they're gonna have all this time and then they don't get it so that kind of shook us a little and made us want to redirect our lives to something that we actually enjoyed doing yeah, well, full, full respect to that for obviously following what you want to do, and um, I'm well, you've been doing it for five years. So you're obviously enjoying it and having a happy life doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's a good time. Sometimes it's hard, honestly. Um, it's very hard. It is hard to watch a lot of bad movies <laughs> over it because sometimes sometimes they just make you so angry that you sat through a theater <laughs> of an awful movie. And there are times where we have so little interest in seeing some movies that, you know, we just, it's hard to find the motivation to actually go to the theater and sit down to see some of them. And, you know, that, that kind of this week, a little bit, some of the movies that came out, we weren't that interested in. And the one, one of the ones we were interested in, we were, we're pretty disappointed by when we get stuck in parts of the year that have a lot of bad movies come out at one time, it gets hard to motivate yourself to go to the theater. And then sometimes, though, if the movie's bad enough, it's easy to write reviews about them. Sometimes the bad reviews are the easiest to write. 
I I also agree that with the notion that sometimes because obviously I I try my hardest obviously to get at least one film a night done, and there are times when I look at the list of however many hundreds of films I've got on my spreadsheet and I do think, oh Christ, I've got to want to watch that. It sounds awful. It's going to be awful. Oh my God, it's going to end up on Winchester levels of bad. But um, by doing this, sometimes you actually find a hidden gem. Do you find that particularly often that? A film you were not looking forward to. Oh yeah, every. I mean, I feel like at least once a month we find a hidden gem, whether or not it's something new that was kind of buried in Netflix or buried in video on demand, or whether it's something older that we just missed because we always watch movies together, but we didn't really get serious about it until 2013. But there was Mm -hmm. one. uh, It was a little bit ago now, but The Hunt from 2012. That's one that comes to mind. pretty quickly with Mads Mikkelsen and that movie just gave me an experience I did not expect. I didn't know anything about that movie going into it. I just was like Mads Mikkelsen is uh, the best. So let's watch this. Yeah. And that movie was kind of like the tight throat movie where you're just kind of on the edge of your seat going, how's this going to end? What's going on? (laughs) That was a very, very, very good hidden gem. Yeah, and there's times where we'll even like some big movies, like you go to the theater and you see, because we get there early, we like to start, you know, get a good seat to sit where we want to sit, kind of a more the more comfortable seats in the theater that aren't, because I'm tall and I like leg room, so. <laughs> um, but, you know, we see a lot of trailers and some of the trailers look like trash, like, you're like God, this movie's going to be awful. And there's been times, you know, I think recently, like Jumanji was one where we saw the trailer a ton and every time we saw the trailer, so that looks like it's going to be awful. It was cringeworthy. And when we actually saw the movie, we were, you know, it wasn't like the best movie ever, but we, we enjoyed ourselves fun, yeah. watching it. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. fun. So that happens. That does happen. And there are times where, like I said, it goes the other way at the end of the year, because we do uh, at the end of the year, we do four lists. We do our best list, our best movies of the year, our worst movies of the year. And then we do our biggest surprises, which are movies that we thought were going to be terrible when we sat down in the theater and actually turned out to be OK or thought, you know, had bad reputations like, you know, Wonder Woman was on our list last year because we had had some bad experiences with the DCU up until Wonder Woman came out, which we kind of enjoyed. And then um, disappointments, you know, you know, movies that looked really good that were just utterly disappointing. We already have one of those this year that's going to be on our list. And spoiler alert, it's a wrinkle in time. I was going to say, do we get get a a sneak peek? But I haven't. I'm look. I'm seeing that this week over here um, and everything I've heard about it. Has I haven't read any reviews, but you, like you say, you can't help but go online and just notice buzz, whether it's good or bad. And I've only, and for the most part, I've only heard kind of you know average or below average reviews. Uh, so I'm not that, that, that's one of those films which I'm which like you say I'm not looking forward to having to sit through. But I uh, it's what you do. So um, it's it's a uh, it's no surprise to hear that that will be coming on your list. But I guess you've mentioned it. How we know that we you weren't particularly keen on it. What was it about the film, or was it, or you know, what made you feel like that towards it? Um, I think the narrative is really there's a problem in the narrative. Like there's with the thread of the it doesn't follow. It's very disjointed, so it doesn't follow from like the beginning. There's not a lot of cause and effect in this movie. It's just like a bunch of random things thrown together that are meant to look visually cool, but it doesn't follow a clean story. And there's also some things added in that just feel like they don't fit in the story. And it's a little boring, to be honest. It's a very, you know, 
it's kind of a dull movie for the most part. It's overly ambitious. I feel like because Ava DuVernay is a fantastic director and every director has their stumble. And I think this is going to be her one stumble. And I I think that because she got a big budget, she wanted to do all these very big vibrant ambitious things and she does them and she has a lot to say and it's very well intentioned but at the same time like you said big j it's it's pretty boring and it's also uh a little too uh you know like it's 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 flashy without a purpose it's kind of lacking in in substance in some areas that not the message but in the visual effects and some of the acting is not great, but, you know, it's it's just very disappointing. How is, when I realised Oprah Winfrey had been cast, I I think it's the biggest eye-opener I'd had in a while. What, is, is she good? Is, you know, what does she bring to the film? She plays, she's cast in a part that is basically herself. So she's very typecast in this movie. She's like this big entity, all-knowing entity that offers inspiration to the young woman protagonist and that's basically who oprah is is this kind of larger than life entity that offers inspiration to women around the world and so she's very much cast and she plays pretty much herself in this movie and i don't think she's particularly bad but she's not particularly noteworthy um pretty much when you're talking like her and reese witherspoon play very much the type and i think mindy kaling on the other hand is wasted where she doesn't actually get to use her actual talents to offer anything to the part yeah and when you add in talents like uh, aubrey plaza and google and bartha raw it's amazing that they didn't they had this cast at disposal but somehow didn't take advantage of what they had and ended up sort of going for visuals over well anything else really um do you think or has there been any movies that will crash into your most surprising list can you think of enough top of your head or can you anticipate any being on there um let's see was there one i mean i don't know like anything that's on our most surprising there was one movie we saw called every day which we thought was going to be like worst of the worst movie ever and it wasn't necessarily good but it wasn't awful it was kind of it was okay and I, we actually wound up liking the message of the movie it had a kind of it's a ro- it's you know it's a teen romance and it's very tropey and a lot of the standard teen romance stuff but there's this underlying message about you know not loving people on the by the way they look cuz it's about a weird entity that jumps from a to a to a different body every day and this woman falls in love with the entity and he's in a different body every day so every day she has to kind of love a different person who's different on the outside, but the same person on the inside. So it's kind of an interesting take on a romance. And I thought it would, we thought that would be a lot worse than it wound up being. And that's probably one of the more surprising ones that we've seen so far this year, even though it's not, you know, high, we wouldn't highly recommend it. But if you're, if you're okay with teen romances, it's actually a decent one. And another thing off the top of my head, I had to go and look up the name of it. It's a quiet place. John Krasinski. Yes. Directing it. And with it, starring with his wife, Emily Blunt, who I love. She's one of my favorites. Uh, I would love her to play me in a movie <laughs> at one point. She's amazing. I, I just love her. And I think that 
I wonder because it's a horror movie. Uh, uh, we have a very love-hate relationship with the horror genre. Uh, we love to watch bad horror movies that are so funny that they are successful. Like Birdemic, like Troll 2. Those are amazing, and yet they're so terrible. But then you've got stuff like you mentioned earlier, Winchester, uh, The Bye-Bye Man last year. Um Ooh. The Open House, which is on Netflix, just these horror movies that try to pass themselves off as these smart and slow burning horror films that are just complete and utter failures on on every conceivable level. But A Quiet Place, I'm trying not to read about South by Southwest. It premiered there. I'm trying not to see anything about it. But John Krasinski's, to my knowledge, has not directed a movie yet. And the the trailer that we've seen for it is intriguing, but I wonder if it could go either way. So that might wind up on the surprises list for us. Yeah, that's a movie which is uh, getting a heck of a lot of buzz coming out of uh, South by Southwest, especially for Krasinski's direction. Uh, I, too, like yourselves, are trying to steer away from any specifics in the plot but it, it's hard not to get pulled in when so many people are saying how good it is similarly to uh, another uh, horror, A24 horror film Hereditary that comes out that's got so many ridiculous uh, reviews from South by Southwest essentially the, the snippets are this is the scariest film you'll see in a long time I was terrified I almost shit my pants watching it there's so many of these kind of massive reviews coming out which I'm now almost scared to watch the film in case I either don't shit myself which I hope I don't or I'm terrified um, so A Quiet Place I've got high hopes for but I'm trying to learn to temper my expectations but I think you're right I think this is Krasinski's uh, directorial debut I think I think it is. We try not to read into the hype train too much either because, like you said, that's one way to be extremely disappointing that many people will not agree with uh, the movie I'm about to say right now, but it comes at night. I know a lot of people loved that movie, uh, and it left us a little empty at the end of it, and we were very much looking forward to it. We had very high hopes for it, and at the end of it, uh, to quote the lady uh, behind us, in the theater, walking out of the theater, she goes, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> so, you know, uh, that one was one. It, it happens most of the time with slow burn horror films that take their time and, and the payoff is kind of a uh, gray area almost where it, it's not really clear exactly what's going on until maybe you watch it two or three times and then you kind of like finally just, there it is, okay. Yeah, I when movies are trying to be too smart for their own good, I think sometimes it comes down to it. And it happens a lot with the independent movies, the stuff that come out of the festivals, because mm -hmm. those get such a big hype train. And uh, even a film like Lady Bird, which we liked, mm -hmm. and I won't say we didn't like it. It's a good movie. But like it was like you're hearing it's the best movie ever. You know, it's the yeah. highest rated movie of all time. And it's all this the greatest thing ever. And I was like, then I saw it and I was like really excited to see it. And I was like, oh, it's okay. It's good. It's not bad. Yeah, as it's a coming-of-age movie. I saw that last year, Edge of 17, you know? <laughs> it's like... I preferred Edge of 17 to yeah. Lady Bird as well. Yeah, so yeah. did I. <laughs> so it was oh, like... Good. It was not just me then. <laughs> yeah. Although Lady Bird is I, really good. I like Lady Bird. Yeah, I... I again, I, I can only agree. I'd 
heard the 100% on Rotten Tomatoes score and everybody was obviously hyping this up as this is a masterpiece of of the genre and I watched it and I it's a very well directed film it's well acted actually no but I don't think you could really argue that oh, yeah but it you know it was just very good it wasn't but and that's all I could think was edge of 17 I found to be I found it funny uh, I found it more compelling it had Woody Harrison in which is always a bonus mm-hmm. and it just worked for me on more levels um uh, as for It Comes at Night, I was one of the freaks who enjoyed that film. <laughs> but I, I'd heard my, my sister went to see it and, and I asked her what it was like, and she said, Oh, it's crap, it, it's terrible, it's really bad. <laughs> and I thought, Oh, I'm suddenly not looking forward to seeing this film. But then I watched it and I thought, Hold on, this is this is awesome. So, um, and that's what I love about film is that for me, I sat down and watched it and I really got into what they were trying to sell to me. Uh, and then it obviously affected you guys differently, and that's how I. That's what I love about movies. And obviously how you put it, though, is more eloquent than just saying, I didn't like it because I thought it was a pile of rubbish. Yeah. Although some movies are a pile of rubbish. <laughs> Although, some movies are undoubtedly a pile of rubbish. And, you know, I think, though, kind of uh, as a as a, an aside to the Lady Bird thing being, you know, it was the number one movie ever reviewed on Rotten Tomatoes, very quickly, may I add, knocked off its pedestal by a much more worthy film in Paddington 2. Yeah, that, yeah, that dude. He wears he, he's marmalade, so marmalade on toast. And I don't think he wears any pants either. So uh, he, he deserves that spot. You know, uh, Disney's trying to do uh, the Paddington with Christopher Robin, and I, I'm not having any of it because I'm a Paddington stan, and <laughs> <laughs> I think that the, the Christopher Robin trailer freaks me out. Like, I don't know. It's just a teaser. E- Ewan McGregor's in it. Love Ewan McGregor, but love Ewan McGregor. You know that bear is just not Paddington. <laughs> no, and it's almost it's almost like they've gone too lifelike with Winnie the Pooh in, in Christopher Robin. It's quite creepy, whereas Paddington's this kind of lovable, cuddly, uh, animated bear. So yeah, I agree. When I first saw it, it was quite creeped out. Um, but again, it's got Ewan McGregor in, so I, I I'm certainly going to rush to go and see it partly just for that reason. Oh yeah, for sure. Um. We mean you mentioned earlier. Well, we've mentioned a few times. There's been in the world of movies, there's a couple of absolute dumpster fires. What would be the worst movie that you've reviewed? The one that got our lowest rating ever is Dirty Grandpa. Dirty Grandpa. We hated Dirty Grandpa on every level, pretty much. It's one of those movies which you aspire to never want to talk about on ever. But uh, now you've brought it up, uh, the floor is yours, please. I think to watch an actor like Robert De Niro, the esteemed, the magnificent Robert De Niro, do something like Dirty Grandpa, uh, where a major running joke in the movie is that he constantly uh, has his penis near his grandson and his grandson's body and his grandson's face. Uh, You know, that's just not uh, how I like to remember Robert De Niro. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a a little uncomfortable in that aspect because when you, if you if you look at it like, oh, it's Robert De Niro and Zac Efron, you're like, okay, you might be able to deal with it. But when you're looking at it like, he's supposed to be his grandfather. Yeah. And he's sticking his dick in his grandson's face. That's a little, that's not oh. funny. And like the fact he's like, one of the first scenes where you see him is he's like yeah. masturbating when Zac Efron oh. comes in the room and he oh. doesn't stop. You're like, uh-huh. yeah, no, that this wasn't funny to the me. Tone. 
set the tone and not and it only gets worse from there because of course it's like a road trip movie where Zach Efron kind of has to try and connect with his grandfather. They try to have a message in there. And later on there are just uh you know jokes about bestiality and and pedophilia and all sorts of stuff that are not in any way shape or form funny uh <laughs> it's just trying to be too edgy i think it's trying to be edgy it's trying to be crass and it 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 mistakes this kind of crassness for humor and it, and it's not witty in any way and i think that's that's what i hate about a lot of modern comedies is they don't use a lot of wit or anything like that or even good circumstantial humor they just throw a dick up on screen or and something like that and that's the joke oh look there's a dick on the screen isn't it funny <laughs> What's the De Niro's character's name? Was Dick as well? <laughs> was it? I think no. his name. I think, I think his name was Dick. Because oh. um, uh, Zac Efron. Well, I'm a big fan of Zac Efron. I think his name was uh, J- Jason, and his grandfather was actually called Dick. I'm, I'm 99% sure of that. Luckily, I've tried so. to rub most of that movie out of my mind. So <laughs> it is probably the most charmless film I've ever seen. You know, oh, that's such a good word for it. Yes, there's it, nothing about, like I said, there's nothing about it which you can gravitate to in turn of the, the only the only good thing about the film, or the only positive, is somehow they managed to actually get talent like De Niro and I guess even like Aubrey Plaza and people like that to actually come onto their film. But that's about it. The fact that they got the film made is probably the most positive thing because it is a absolute. I'd probably say it's probably the worst comedy certainly of this decade, if not the last two or three. But I, I agree on the with it about modern comedy. Sometimes you get a film, I guess, like Girls Trip, which had crass humour in it, but also made up for it by being, in my opinion, very funny. And then you've got something like uh, Dirty Grandpa, which is, just has nothing going for it whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, good. You can make a crass joke. You can make, you know, you can do something that's funny, as long as there's a proper situation. It's all context. There's yeah. there's thing that says there's no bad words only bad context and dirty grandpa's a movie of bad context and girls trip takes some crass things like they have the grapefruiting and all that <laughs> stuff and she's on the zip line and she pees on the crowd and you know stuff like that but you know they set up the situation to where it kind of works and it kind of is becomes funny you know so and it's in no way indicative of our not prudes at all we say this all the time on our own podcast we are not prudish at all we think you know uh, like a well-timed fart joke okay whatever you know what i mean like it's whatever that's fine but agreed (laughs) exactly see i mean i think any red-blooded person is you know every once in a while they're gonna laugh at a fart joke but like dirty grandpa takes it so far beyond anything that is humorous or logical or it's just so insanely yeah awful <laughs> it just the fart can't be the joke you know you have to set up the you have to have the proper setup once you have the proper setup and then you can let one go and then it works you know there's certain scenes where it works and same thing with like any any kind of crass joke you know if you have the proper setup it'll be funny whether but you can't it's same with like people who like spit out F-bombs and stuff like that. Melissa McCarthy was big on that for a for long a time where it's like, oh, look, mm-hmm. it's an overweight, uh, you know, white lady saying the F-word. That's the joke. Yeah, and that can't be the joke. You have to have a purpose for yeah. it to be there, you yeah. know. As long as you have context and wit and stuff like that, you can get a little dirty and a little blue and it'll work just fine. But, you know, you can't just throw vulgarity out there and hope that – that's funny because it's vulgar or because it's edgy or you're just trying to shock people, you know. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I can't remember who directed Dirty Grandpa. To be honest, I'm not bothered either. But um, yeah, I mean, his the, the the it's so badly written. I mean, it's a it's pretty much offend tries to offend everybody. I think. I mean, there's there's jokes about obviously race, cancer, homophobia, and things like that. And I'm not quite sure what they were aiming for. And like I say, crash jokes are fun at times if they're well delivered and you get a set up and you get that payoff. But when it's just f bomb after f bomb after uh, hit hit shock shock value after shock value, just for the sake of it, right. so it, you wonder why did they even bother in the first place, other than possibly an easy paycheck. Interestingly enough, the uh, man who directed Dirty Grandpa, Dan Mazer or Mazar, Mazer. I'm not sure. Uh, he actually wrote Borat, which is crass and hilarious on which the other on end the of other the side, yeah. <laughs> and and also Bruno, which is a little le- a little less funny, but Borat is uh, I I still watch that movie so many years later and say, but am I? <laughs> <laughs> I've learned something new today, but um about that, but I still hold him in low esteem because of Dirty Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Borat is slightly redeemable, and Bruno as well to an extent. Um, uh, what? What movie, this is part, I suppose we can split this individually or collectively, how, whatever it works, what movie has left the biggest impression on you guys for any reason whatsoever? You, go you want to go, oh, now you're going to pawn it off on me? Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, it, now, Ladies do you, first. Do you, exactly. Uh, do you want this to be a movie just from childhood or do you mean something we've seen in the last couple of years in the theatre? No, yeah, any time. Any time in your life. Uh, okay, we were talking about this last night in preparation for this uh, this podcast interview. I think one that jumps out at me right away is uh, the original Universal monster movie, uh, Dracula. And I think that's because I watched that movie as a kid uh, probably dozens of times. My parents were big on uh, old Hollywood movies from the 30s and 40s. Uh, that's pretty much exclusively what my dad watched. And uh, the original Universal Monster, Dracula, from the 30s, was not only terrifying because of Bela Lugosi, but I think it's kind of damaged me a little bit in what I think of as a good, like an effective horror movie. Uh, Of course, it's got my my opinions have have changed over the years since I was four or five. Uh, (laughs) But that one specifically, I mean, we watch that every couple of years on Halloween. We try to watch that movie and it just still... Nothing holds a candle to that uh, to that movie. I think it's the way it's shot, the way Bella Lugosi acts, the the horror elements that aren't impacted or damaged by what has now become horror as a genre. I think that's just one of the perfect horror movies, and I feel like people are doing themselves a disservice by not seeing it, just because it's so well made. And I love it; it's so good. And now. You, you're are you going to go obvious or are you going to go deep cut on me? No, I <laughs> might go obvious. I mean, I am I grew up in the 80s for the most part. So, you know, I the movies that left a big impact on me as a kid were actually movies like probably like The Dark Crystal or The Never Ending Story, which are movies that are kids. But in some ways, they're kind of terrifying movies, even if you watch them now. But um, I don't know. I, I just have it kind of left... That's the kind of movie I really enjoy, I think, more than anything are these fantasy movies. And I've kind of stuck with that ever since being a kid. And I, whether it's, you know, you go back, Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, um, even Star Wars. Star Wars is, of course, a huge Star Wars fan, any of that stuff. But I think just because the fantasy aspect, I like 
the escapism of fantasy movies more than seeing things I can see in my everyday life. A lot of times I don't mind those movies if they, you know, I, I, I like a lot of different movies, but I still have a special place in my heart for fantasy and even Muppets when you talk about Dark Crystal because <laughs> I still like Muppet movies. <laughs> and the Muppet. Well, Jim Henson was the man behind it, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, yeah. The Dark Crystal was, that, that scared the hell out of me when I was a kid because um, just the imagery, because thinking about it now, that's kind of Del Toro before Del Toro. Yeah. I was only a young, young, young lad in the eighties. So that, so the, when I first watched it, yeah, it kind of had a strange impression on me because it was just, it wasn't like the things I was used to seeing on TV, uh, kind of the happy-go-lucky cartoons I'd watch, mm-hmm. and then to be transported into that fantasy world. Yeah, I can see how fantasy is a nice escape from the rigors of the everyday world, or even just the gritty, realistic films, which, like you say, can be fantastic, but at times they can hit home quite hard. That you know. This is reality. It was obviously something like Labyrinth as well. And The Never Ending Story, that's another one you mentioned. I used to love that film when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just grew up on those movies, I think. And I've watched them so many times. It's, and I think, you know, it does, it led to my love of other people. Like you said, Del Toro, like even Tim Burton earlier, lately he hasn't yeah. been doing too much great. But, you know, in the late 80s or in 90s and stuff like that, Tim Burton did a lot of great stuff. And it's that kind of, you know, imaginative world. And I love that kind of, you know, to see that imagination. I love to see people put something very imaginative out there and something very thoughtful and something that they created from the ground up rather than necessarily observational. Like you can take observational things and put them into a fantasy movie and use an allegory. But it also showed, I think, a little bit more respect for young audiences, stuff like The Dark Crystal compared to like today, like the Emoji movie. And there were movies like that in, in the 80s, too. It's not like we were exempt from crappy kids movies uh, growing up in the eighties, but you know, movies like that, like dark crystal, like never ending story, like labyrinth, like um, even the iron giant, you know, they respect kids as actually able to kind of have more to a story than just, you know, fart jokes and colors and whatnot. And they don't just have this really light thing. They actually deal with deeply kind of emotional issues and they have tragedy and they show arcing stories that you can kind of follow. And I think it showed a, it helped me earn a greater appreciation for movies, watching stuff like that as a kid, rather than some of the lighter fare of kids movies. Yeah. And that's when, you know, a movie and similar with Dracula as well. That's how, you know, a movie has left an impression on you when it stays with you, to the ages you are now and going forward and how it can kind of reflect how you see films of a similar genre so that's when you, that's a, that's a film leaving a real impression on you uh, and just going back to Dracula that's a film I haven't seen for about two decades um, so I, I apologize for that guys but I will I will check that out soon I think that if you, you can't go wrong with most of the mainstream universal monster movies, Frankenstein, Dracula, Creature from the Black Lagoon, can go either way, but also uh, Wolfman is amazing as well. You get into like Bride of Frankenstein, you know, Black Cat, stuff like that. I know a lot of people disagree, but those are not, those are not the core, the core ones are the best, but Frankenstein, Mummy, Dracula, any of those just so they're so good and they're so moody. And people need to go watch those so they know how to make a good moody horror movie now. <laughs> yeah, it would it would have helped if the uh, the the uh, Helmers of the this new dark universe had actually actually gone back and watched how to make those kind of old monster universe films because I don't know what you thought about Tom Cruise's The Mummy, but 
That's not how I remember the old uh, classic monster movies. It's it's it was it was Mummy Impossible. So Mummy Impossible, exactly. <laughs> it was so bad. Uh, and you know what? That's another. If you're gonna start a universe like that, I feel like everything is universe based now because of Marvel, DC, yep. stuff like that. So I mean, even Spider- Thanks, guys. Yeah. Just what about give it to Del Toro? Give it to someone who is deeply involved and and cares about characters like that. Yeah, I mean, and you also have to make a good movie first. If you're going to build a yeah. universe, you better don't plan the universe before you plan your first movie. Make your first movie. You can have the fact that you want to expand it in mind, but you better take some care in that first movie because if your first movie is a failure, failure, your universe is going to be a failure. I'm glad it failed. <laughs> and that's pretty much what happened with, uh, you know, the dark universe, which is probably dead on arrival, and they're going to have to probably reboot it from the beginning in a couple of years if they plan to go on with it at all and don't cast tom cruise <laughs> yeah exactly it's quite embarrassing to have to reboot your universe after the first movie mm-hmm. but um yeah that was that was just an action and the fact that they managed to drag russell crowe into it and make him look like a bad actor is mind-blowing to me because to me he's the, one of the two top actors working today um so shame on you russell so going forward actually so, sorry on that note they're the, they're, they're the films that have left the biggest impressions on you what would you list just in general was just a couple of your favorite movies the shape of water (laughs) (laughs) and you know what there's nothing i feel like there's nothing wrong adding brand new movies to your list of favorite movies because there's going to be movies till the end of time as long as the earth is here people are going to make movies but the shape of water is definitely high on my list and I don't know. I mean, Star Wars is an obvious answer, but like you too, mm. Star Wars left an impact on me as well when I was a kid. Just watching Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia be this strong figurehead of, of my childhood, I feel like her and the Pink Ranger, but to a less extent, the Pink Ranger, uh, <laughs> they kind of left this impression on me that, you know, minus Tommy, the Green Ranger slash White Ranger, you know, you don't really you don't really need anyone else to do your own stuff that you can handle your own uh, your own shit. But yeah, Star Wars uh the big lebowski is my favorite movie of all time i think that's yes so good um i love anchorman but maybe part of that is because it takes place here in san diego and it's just so it's so good it's so funny and that's one of the few will ferrell led movies that's actually not cringeworthy you know like he's gotten increasingly more man baby-ish uh throughout his career but Anchorman was just, and it's so quotable, and it's so it's so funny, and uh, of course, Inglorious Bastards is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Anything else? Well, you? I got. I mean, my favorites, of course, are the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. I really love, um, of course, Star Wars, um, any of that stuff. I said big into fantasy films, but there's other you know movies I like. You can go back like Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of that movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. Fast Times at Ridgemont High, I have a big connection to. It's a, you know, teen comedy, but it actually, the guy who wrote Fast Times at Ridgemont High posed as a student at my high school to write his book for that movie. Yeah, Cameron Crowe, he posed as a student at uh, the high school I went to. Right up the street from where we lived. I wasn't going there at the time. It was a lot longer. It was way before I was old enough to go to high school. But, you know, he was there, and that's kind of a big story that uh, always kind of came around in my high school. So there's, uh, it wasn't shot at. You know, it wasn't shot there, but if you have the DVD and if you look at the special features, they do mention Claremont High. That's like the claim to fame of our our little town, right? (laughs) Yeah. So there's a little connection there. Um, You know, there's a guy. There's tons of movies that you can. We even go to. 
outside the fantasy genre, like uh, Godfather, of course, Shawshank Redemption. I loved the movie Drive, which got no love a few years ago. Um, I feel like that's become a major uh, cult classic now. Sleeper hit, yeah. Oh, also, um, anything Taika Waititi's done. I mean, Hunt for the Wilder People, What We Do in the Shadows. If you want a comedy that's going to make you laugh out loud every single time you watch it, What We Do in the Shadows is it. I hate to only name, like, new movies, but <laughs> Umbrellas of Cherbourg. How about that? Umbrellas of Cherbourg is a brand new movie. We just that's a, Not new, but, you know, we just watched it. That's a, that's a deep cut, I was going to say. It is a deep cut, yeah. And I think that I had heard that Damien Chazelle was inspired to make La La Land because of that movie. And he, a friend of ours said, watch this movie. It's so good. And we watched it, and I just saw We watched it, like, less than a week ago. I have not been able to stop thinking about it. It was that good. And you mentioned La La Land, that's jumped straight into my top 20 of all time as well. So I, I'm on the train that just because a movie's new doesn't mean it can't it can't get into that list of yours. I don't believe a movie has to be weathered to be considered a classic. Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, I've just heard. Two franchises which are dear to me. I love both of them. Um, and I've also mentioned the Hobbit trilogy. So I throw this question out quite a lot because I feel it, it's divisive enough. Firstly, which... Which trilogy did you think was the better, The Hobbit or the prequels? And as a overarching broad question, did you think both either of them worked? I didn't oh, catch boy. the last part of the question, but do you think uh, in terms of to what came before? So you have got the, the original Star Wars trilogy uh-huh. and the Lord of the Rings classic trilogy. Do you think the the new trilogy, so the prequels and the Hobbit, for did you think they were on a similar level, and do you think they? worked well as a lead-in to those classic trilogies? Um, well, the Star Wars trilogy, the original one is fantastic. Of course, Empire Strikes Back is probably a favorite, but that's the easy one to go to. Uh, mm-hmm. The Lord of the Rings trilogy is a, one of the perfect trilogies in my mind. I think it's really good, and I don't think the Hobbit one lived up to it because uh, Peter Jackson was using too, mainly too much CGI was a big thing. And he expanded the book, you know, it shouldn't have been three movies either. I also think there was a little, like the problem with George Lucas making the prequels was he had nobody around him to rein him in because nobody wanted to be the guy or gal that said, George, calm down a little on what you're trying to do here. And it felt the same with Peter Jackson in the Hobbit trilogy, where it was like, you might need to cut down on the CGI a little. You're a little overly ambitious for the sake of making three movies. Yeah, I think that was partly yeah. the studio, too, kind of wanted three movies. And he mm-hmm. it was initially only going to be two. And that probably would have been a better start. So they kind of wound up with a lot of filler in that movie, which dragged it out. And I think you could re-edit the Hobbit trilogy into a really good uh, two-parter rather than a three-parter. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you essentially took the Desolation of Smaug and the Battle of Five Armies kind of cut them up, trim them together. You could make a very good film out of the two of them, but yeah, they stretched out into three films. Oh man, they were hard work at times. Yeah, they they they're a bit slow. I still I still like The Hobbit. Yeah. Um, I like a lot of stuff about it, but I you know, it's definitely not up to the level of The Lord of the Rings. As far as the you know, the Star Wars prequels, um I'm like not the- a you know, they're not I won't say they're awful. One and um, three are fine, but two is just yeah, so bad. <laughs> two's rough because it's so the dialogue's so bad and it's so poorly paced, the at least the early prequels. And like you said, the big problem, there are scenes, especially in um Revenge of the Sith, like the final lightsaber battle between Anakin and Obi Wan, 
where they're fighting and there it's like okay up to this point it's good but once they drop jump on the floating things on the lobby i said okay yep. you kind of went too far there you yeah. should have stopped a few <laughs> feet back you could have stopped on the overpass bridge and that would have been kind of a good tie-in to you know empire strikes back fighting on the overpass there and stuff like that so but he was the chosen one <laughs> but you know of course even and having I, like one had the high ground yeah, yes <laughs> Even the burst of lava, because they were shooting lava up, and that could have hit him coming in. You could, there's so much you could have done. As far as the new sequels go for Star Wars, I'm I'm actually a really big fan of the new trilogies. Yeah. Or even the new spin. I liked Rogue One a lot. I loved Rogue One. I liked, uh, uh, you know, The Force Awakens. I was I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. It's, um, you know, it's kind of nostalgic in many ways and it's kind of you know. Especially the last one is just kind of, where did that come from? But, but in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> I loved, and I do love uh, The Last Jedi. A lot of people, some people say they, you know, they, they're really mad about it because it did something to their childhood. I don't know. I grew up watching, like, I was alive when Empire came out. I was alive when Return of the Jedi come out. And um, I saw the, you know, I saw Return of the Jedi and upon its initial release in the theater. So it's not like I'm not familiar with those movies. And I was, you know, I didn't grow up with them. I did grow up with them. And I love The Last Jedi. And I love the direction it took the story in. And I think is your childhood still intact? It's though? completely intact. <laughs> oh, and thank goodness! It's it's something that it was something new because I think Force Awakens was very familiar and it was good in that aspect. And it needed to be as well, yeah. Yeah, and it needed to be, and it and it brought in new characters though. And I think I've always been an advocate of characters in movies. I, I think that's always the most important thing in a movie is good characters. So as long as you have yeah. good characters, you will have at least a decent movie. And I think the new characters are really good in uh, the new trilogy. And I think that was a problem with some of the prequels is their characters and the, a lot of the development wasn't quite there where it needed to be and stuff like that. But here they're doing some great jobs. You know, they're, they're not they've expanded just enough on the old characters, but this isn't their story anymore. It's the story of Rey. It's the story of Kylo, the story of Poe Dameron and all them stuff. You know, they 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 get the new story, you know, and it, it's all focused on them. And so you kind of have to let go as they keep saying in the movie let go of the past and just move on with this new future yeah i think they've handled them well and i'm i'm a firm believer that if you don't like something then there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever just you know please try and give an opinion as to why it doesn't have to be war and peace but um i think they've done a fantastic job in tying it all together in taking it in a new direction which is what it needed to be um but there are cries of uh, episode seven was too similar. Episode eight is too is too weird. You know, you've got to where where, where does you know where, where's the middle line? What what do people want about the prequels? One thing that bugged me about the prequels actually in episode three was when Obi Wan does famously have the high ground. Anakin Skywalker could have just literally just walked off onto the uh, clearing and rather than doing that ridiculous flip. If you watch the scene again, he's clear he could have just hopped onto the onto the shore and not had his arms and legs um, mutilated but uh, that's my biggest gripe with the prequels I don't care about Sand or Jar Jar it's that one scene for some reason he had to flip over and get his whole body torn carved open like a turkey when all he had to do was just t- jump off the ledge yeah. but um, the million million dollar question is if you were if you had to if you were going to put on a, one of the trilogies which one are you more inclined to watch the Hobbit or the prequels uh, I'd probably be more inclined to watch The Hobbit over the prequels because um, I think, well, it's hard to say. I've I've probably seen the prequels more times than I've seen The Hobbit though. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
To, but, my, to my knowledge, we've only watched The Hobbit twice. Twice. And we've watched the prequels probably like a dozen times. So I don't know if it's that much, but it's, we've watched it quite a few times. But like I said, I don't think the only one that I don't think is a necessarily what I even say is a, you know, they're bad Star Wars movies in many ways. But the only one I'd say is genuinely not a great, a good, not even a good movie is uh, Attack of the Clones. Is Attack of the Clones in many ways. It's and it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. None of them are the worst movie I've ever seen. They're all mm-hmm. watchable. Um, but I right now I'd probably say I, I think the Hobbit trilogy is a better trilogy than the prequels of Star Wars. Um, when it comes down to it, as far as characters, as far as scripts and stuff like that. Um, it's got Lee Pace and those fabulous horns. Yeah, and visuals and stuff like that. I think The Hobbit's <laughs> better. Yeah, and I think, I think The Hobbit does tie in better to its um, subsequent trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, better than the prequels do. Because I think George Lucas tried as hard as to retcon half of his own work with the prequels, whereas Peter Jackson did have more, I, I believe, had more of an eye on you know, linking his trilogy, even if it was horribly on the nose towards the end of the third film. Yeah. Um, I think I think they linked in better. So in terms of cohesive story, The Hobbit is a better narrative. But the prequels have... I, I, I don't mind Attack of the Clones. I will agree it's a weak film. It's Strangely enough, it's got my favourite soundtrack of the films. Episode 3 gets a pass by most people because I think that that's generally considered the best of the lot. So I'm glad I got that answer because I like asking people that question just to, just to see where people go with it. You may have already answered this question with some of your answers, but if you guys could just save one movie out of everything that's come before, you were only given one film to save and to keep forever, what film would you pick uh, and why? Hmm. Oh boy, there's so many choices. Nothing like an easy question. <laughs> I think you hit some... Uh... You hit some areas that most people wouldn't think to ask, though. I, I love this question. I know I'm kind of like looking around the room with the posters. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I think I'd probably just say Big Lebowski because I think there's enough there to last a lifetime. Because I have watched that movie probably over a dozen times for real this time. And I think that every time I watch that movie, I notice something different. And it's one of those films that kind of changes in a way over time. Like the first time I watched it, I didn't like it at all. I thought it was pointless, aimless. I thought it was just too weird. I didn't get it. And then I watched it again. And then I watched it again. (laughs) And then I watched it again. And now it's my favorite movie. And I think that it's got some, it's got enough of of everything. It's got an infinite amount of F-bombs, an infinite amount of white Russians. Uh, There's (laughs) some, some crime. There's some, uh, Bowling, bowling, uh, Richard Nixon bowling. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, and it, it, great acting, fabulous direction, uh, pinpoint accuracy, dialogue, just so witty, so sharp, it's so funny, very quotable, infinitely quotable, uh, fantastic soundtrack. I mean, the dream sequence, it's got everything. I think that's the one I'd save. The Coen brothers have slipped a little bit recently, but I think they're still especially since they, you know, helped write Suburbicon, which I think was well-intentioned, oh. but, oh, yeah, not not a fan. Sideshow Bomb stepping Please on rakes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but The Big Lebowski is my answer. Go ahead. Hmm. That's a hard one. Are you still saying. thinking? I still, yeah, it's kind of thinking, because a lot of the movies I love are actually parts of trilogies and stuff like that, so taking one 
would kind of not work in context. That's not uh, the question. <laughs> you know, it's a good way of thinking, though. Um, if I was going to save one movie. I could always go with the first movie I ever remember seeing, and that would probably be the movie, first movie I ever remember seeing in the theater. I'll go with that and just say E.T. probably, because that's oh. the first movie I, I can even – that's my first movie memory ever is E.T. So That's so good. So I'll go with that. It's not a bad, it's not a bad movie to be taking, let, let's be fair. Yeah, and my first movie was the Flintstones movie. Yeah. <laughs> that it, that is a bad movie to be taken. To be fair, how dare you? <laughs> you know, I can all I, apologies. I've been watching that movie for over thirty years, and I still enjoy it every time I put it in. I think it's fun and it has a good message, and it's you know, kind of one of those timeless. movies that's timeless. Yeah. Oh, so timeless. Yes. And it's 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 a testament to I mean, feel stupid saying it to the to Spielberg that you know that was what nineteen eighty two I think. And he's still now ploughing out incredible films, and apparently another one with Ready Player One. He's still doing it. Yeah, I can't wait for that one. I know that film Twitter is divided whether or not they like it based on the trailer, but gotta wait till you see the movie. I'm looking forward to it. I'm not gonna lie, I haven't read the book, but I like to. I'd like to watch a movie and then read the book. I've heard it's really good. Yeah, and if you are well, obviously a fan of um, the '80s and, and everything surrounding it, then. It's hard to not be excited about it. Yeah. I'm glad that Big Lebowski finally got a mention from somebody because that's a film which I find flies under the radar far too much. Um, but in terms of another question, just to... Uh, this is a bit of fun because I enjoy the answers I get from people. But um, it is another sort of left curveball question. If they were going to make a movie... If Holly was going to make a movie about your life, uh, we'll call it Lolo Land, who would play... You guys in a movie about you guys. Lolo Land, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> you can have that one. Um, I know my answer. They would have to wear a fat suit because they're very thin. <laughs> Not so much, but uh, it would be either Rebecca Hall or Emily Blunt. I'm going with those answers because I think that they are actresses that are criminally underlooked and underappreciated. I feel like Emily Blunt's finally getting her moment in the sun now. But Rebecca Hall has given consistently uh, fantastic performance and, uh, performances and has not gotten any recognition whatsoever. Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, Christine, which she should have gotten an Oscar nomination for, was, I mean, one of the best performances that year, underlooked. Frost Nixon, which we watched the other day, she's not in it a lot, but she's fantastic in that movie as well. They'd have to wear a fat suit, but that would be my choice. And use an American accent, but, you know. <laughs> and it still yeah those would be my choices yeah <laughs> i i thought about this a lot i couldn't really it was hard to think about it i said one of the ones i kind of leaned towards was uh chris pratt before he got in guardians of the galaxy shape like if he was <laughs> you know parks and recreation chris pratt or something like that maybe I could see an inkling of maybe Russell Crowe, but I think I'm nicer than he is. I'm, and you, he, <laughs> won't block, yes. he won't block you on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, have you been blocked by the crow? Yeah, we were, I, actually. I have been, yes. Oh, wow. Can I ask why? Uh, we we have a theory on why, because yeah. we reviewed the movie, The, what is the, the Water, water Diviner. The Water Diviner, which was his directorial debut. We actually liked the movie. We gave it a positive review, and we said... But it's, it, but at the very end of the review, <laughs> she added a little caveat where she said, oh, this, you know, his directorial debut was good enough to make you forget he threw a phone at somebody. 
<laughs> we didn't tag him in the review anywhere. We just promoted it on our Twitter. This was probably when it came out, 2014, 2015. So pretty early on in our <laughs> movie reviewing career quote career and then i i went one day and looked and he had blocked me (laughs) (laughs) that's incredible and so you know what i'm not mad about it but you know every time i get a chance now that i review a movie with russell crowe we always add in there please unblock us on twitter (laughs) the bright side of that though there's a bright lining which means if that is the case he actually went to our website and read our review and that's actually the words out of my mouth there. He, he, the crow himself, Maximus, has read your review and it had such an impression on him that he was forced to act. <laughs> Fantastic. No, I was just going to say, did it make up for his uh, horrible uh, part in The Mummy? No, but you know. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I wonder if he threw his phone out the window or at somebody having read your review, mocking him almost. <laughs> Who are these people? Are you not entertained? <laughs> <laughs> That's a that's that's an awesome story. Oh, well, I hope one day he does unblock you, and he mellows in his. Oh, cross! I better not say old age because he might block me as well. But I hope one day he sees the funnier side of it. If not, well, lighten up, crow. Um, so you're not picking Russell Crowe to, 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 as your as your choice then? No, but given his physical shape now, I think he might be a. <laughs> <laughs> he might be a good choice. Now he's going to block you. He's going to block me now. <laughs> exactly. But, His nice guy's persona is what I see him as in real life. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, that's so good. It's such, a, and he's such a fantastic actor. Yeah, I think he's a better actor than Chris Pratt, honestly. But uh, I think I'm probably, you know, if you go back to way before he got all ripped for Guardians of the Galaxy, and when he was first starting out, that's probably not too far off. <laughs> But on the plus side, they're all great actors. Yeah. Yes. I love Russell Crowe. If you are listening, Russ, we do love you. Um, right, Ralph Fiennes are just a bit better than you, but you're okay still. Um, come on the show. Um, so, would you, other than pissing off Russell Crowe, would you have any advice for anyone out there looking to get into the reviewing game, whether that's written or YouTube? Uh, advice? Uh, yeah. It's a, uh, yeah. Uh, well, first off, it's not easy. No, it's not easy and it's not going to come. You have to love review. You have to love movies for one. If you don't love movies, you shouldn't be doing this. Armand White. Yeah, (laughs) it's hard work. And be honest, don't write reviews to please other people. Only write what you think and uh, feel really and write what you feel. What you feel about a movie is just important as what you may learn in film school about what is important in a movie. How you feel about a movie is probably more important than how what the technical aspects of a movie are. If the technical aspects of a movie are good, say Tree of Life, but it doesn't make you feel anything, mad, sad, happy, what have you, is there really a point? Is it just a technical exercise in how to make a movie or does it give you that visceral feeling of happiness or sadness or, mm-hmm. or, or horror? Yeah. Really, you have to write about your experience and all that other stuff. You can write about it to a point, the directing, the mess on scene, the cinematography, how they hold the camera, how they yeah. this and that and the third. But how that affects your experience with the movie will right. matter, you know, because that does expect, mm-hmm. affect your experience. Did but you say honesty? Honesty. Yeah, yeah. Honesty. And, you know, it's it affects your experience and let yourself come out in your reviews too. let your own personality come through in your review so let your work reflect who you are and not just uh 
you know, write some, don't ever be cold in your, try not to be cold and clinical in your writing. And if you get the chance to get to the next step where you're not just writing for yourself, if you're writing for someone else, if you are writing to review screeners, if you are writing for another publication, just be honest. It doesn't matter if you dislike something, if you're only doing it to get screeners or to get perks, then you're not really being honest with yourself and with your readers. If we hate something, we're going to say we hate it. We'll do it colorfully most of the time, but <laughs> you know, we're not going to lie and say, "Well, we we like this movie enough, but you know, maybe try harder next time." No, if it sucks, we're just going to say. And if somebody dislikes us, then yeah. Oh well, we're not going to lie to, you know, bump up any Rotten Tomato score or IMDb score or yeah. that's one thing I hate now or trigger happy people who review movies either without seeing them or they critique stuff that because there's a, a black lead or because there's a female lead or because it's about a gay couple that they'll instantly just be like one out of 10. This is terrible. Yeah. Uh, unwatchable. That's just not, you're not watching the movie properly. You're not watching it at all. Actually. That's my biggest peeve about people. They're like, Oh, that movie's awful. Is like, have you seen it? No. Then how the hell do you know it's awful? <laughs> you haven't seen it. Happens a lot. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, that's probably the worst part of things is they'll just, you know, say things what other people expect. They're basically just, that's why I don't believe in fully objective uh, movie reviewing. I don't think it's possible because you're always going to bring your own opinion and your own experiences into every movie. And movies are art. And it's like some people like the Mona Lisa and other people like dogs playing poker, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> I like dogs playing poker. I do too. <laughs> so, I mean... <laughs> is one technically better than the other maybe but if you don't enjoy them looking at the mona lisa and you would rather have a picture of dogs hanging playing poker in your house who's there to judge you you know really well, if you uh go by the movie pop star mona lisa you're an overrated piece of shit <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here second guys <laughs> well guys be open be honest be warm that's the message coming out of it and if you like smoking dogs playing poker that's just as cool as liking the miserable mona lisa there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Um, and I, I do agree that, unfortunately, the the flip side of social media and having such a, uh open community is it does give, well, I'm not going to lie, nobbies a chance to spout their opinions and give a film one out of ten just because it dares have a black lead or, a, you know, they, they have the temerity to cast a woman as the lead. It gives those kind of lowlifes a chance to uh, spew their venom. Uh, and I agree. I have no time for people like that. So yeah, if you are going to get into the game, be aware that there are some people out there who may bring you down just because you like a film which they don't agree with in terms of their beliefs. Um, so thank you for that, guys. And that is unfortunately that for this episode of the What I Watched Tonight show. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on today, both of you. Where can the world find you on the World Wide Web? The world can find us at lolovesfilms.com. Uh, that's where we have all of our movie review websites, and each month we recap everything we've seen. So if you happen to visit us on the first of the month, you'll just be able to look at that one post and see everything we watched for the month. And also, uh, we do have a podcast. It is live on Wednesdays and Saturdays 
Uh, it is at Mixler, which is M-I-X-L-R.com slash Lola Loves Films. And on all of the social medias from Snapchat to Twitter to Facebook to Instagram to Tumblr to this, that, and bling, bling, bloom, uh, we are at Lolo Loves Films. And I have one. And if you want to react with me personally, I have Big J Loves Films on Twitter only. I don't really. She does every other social media. You're interacting with her mostly. <laughs> but if you want to interact with me, it's Big J Loves Films yes. on Twitter only. <laughs> Well, the world is soon going to become your oyster by the sounds of it. You've got a finger in every single piece of social media. So uh, everyone bust a move to the, to the site to have all your movie review needs met and just to lust over the sheer weight of write-ups that these guys do. Uh, and, yeah, and also check out uh, Lauren and Josh's socials and uh, support the great and constant stream of work they're putting out because these guys love movies. I think that's come across in the last hour and a half these guys are passionate about it so join in their passion support it because you won't regret it um, so thank you once again Lolo and Big J uh, thank you all for listening you can catch the episodes on our website which is whatiwatchtonight.co.uk subscribe to the show on iTunes by searching for the What I Watch Tonight show um, rate it comment if you like it if you do like what you hear share it with everybody you know and don't forget to tell your beloved grandmothers but until next time see ya Boogie boogie.